Blog Talk Radio. Everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Trendlebed Tales. Today is a Travel Times episode, and we're going to be talking about travel in Iowa. I am your host, Sarah Utoff, who is the creator of Trendlebed Tales, where we bring Laura Ingalls Wilder's social history and children's literature to life. And this is uh, one of our special episodes where we get to talk about everybody's favorite topic, what they do for travel and for their hobbies. So without further ado, let us uh, do a little housekeeping. So if you have a question to ask, the chat room is open. You can also catch this episode or any episode by a phone, and you can do that by calling in to 714-242-5253. That's 714-242-5253, or toll-free 1-877-633-9389. That's toll-free one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine, and uh, you're able to call in only when the show is live. But you can use it both if you want to ask questions or if you just want to listen away from your computer. And if you're going to be catching the archive, remember that you can get it on iTunes by downloading it by is a mp3 file for free and if you do please be sure to leave a comment because that is how other people find the podcast and with no further ado i think that's about all of our housekeeping for today And we are here with Jessica O'Reilly from Travel Iowa. Welcome to the program, Jennifer. Or Jessica, thank you, Sarah, for having me. That's That's okay. I I get it a lot. I get it a lot. It's fine. (laughs) All right. Well, that's a great way to start the episode. But why don't you tell us, (laughs) Jessica, about yourself? Um, Sure. I am an Iowa State graduate. I was attending Iowa State um, in advertising, and I was needing to do an internship. So um, the Iowa State Fair was looking for interns. I was lucky enough to be one of the two they hired. Um, That was between my junior and senior year. Then um, a position, a full-time position opened up there. And so I graduated on a Saturday, started on a Monday. I spent nine years full-time there at the State Fair in their marketing department promoting that wonderful event. And then I came over to the tourism office about, it's been nine years now here at the Iowa Tourism Office. So I like to say I went from promoting one big event over 11 days to a whole statewide events and attractions and it's a great job well it certainly sounds like it would be (laughs) (laughs) so uh what exactly is travel iowa and there are people listening from all over the place so they will probably have no idea sure 
Um, TravelIowa.com is our website, the Iowa Tourism Office. We are um, an entity under the umbrella of the Iowa Economic Development Authority. Our mission is to um, generate tourism-related expenditures to assist Iowa's economy, and that can be in-state travelers or out-of-state travelers. Um, Our definition of a traveler is someone who goes more than 50 miles or more in one direction from their home, so you can easily be a traveler right here in Iowa. But then we also market to our border states to encourage them to come. So uh, you said it was uh, part of the government. Are you government-funded then? We are. um, Again, we're under Iowa Economic Development Authority, so the legislature funds our agency, and then um, they'll fund the Economic Development Authority, and then part of that goes directly to us and the tourism office. Do you work with uh, other organizations? Because a lot of, um, you know, like the larger towns in Iowa might have a convention and visitors bureau or something. So uh, do you work directly with those? Are you involved with the networks like the silos and smokestacks? Or um, how does how does that all connect up? Sure. The, the tourism industry in Iowa is broad. So we have the organizations like silos and smokestacks. We have all the local CBBs. We also have three tourism regions that are partially funded through our office. So we have Western, Central, and Eastern. They all have memberships. So those could be um, museums or hotels, or restaurants, or any number of things. So we work with those regions. We work with silos and smokestacks. We'll work directly with CVBs. We'll work with chambers, individual attractions. So it's a wide net that we cast. So if someone was... um uh, if someone was planning to, to make a trip to Iowa from someplace else, uh, how do you get information to them? We have several options. TravelIowa.com is our most, that's where we spend a lot of our energy and effort in inspiring travelers. Um, if you visit there, you'll see that we have 19 different ways to travel Iowa. So if you're a foodie, we serve up different ideas about here's some great restaurants. Um, for instance, right now we have a best, you can find where the best tenderloin and best burger are. Um, we have some extreme food challenges, so if that's your thing, like the Adam Emmenecker at the um, Death Rose, those massive sandwiches that they give you a certain amount of time to eat, we have those. Um, but we also have, like, family fun, or we'll do summer when we get there. We do winter, of course. Um, all sorts of different ideas. So our idea on TravelIowa.com is really to inspire you. Like, did you know these things were in Iowa? And hopefully find one that hits your hot spot. We also um, have the Iowa Travel Guide, a printed piece that's available through our welcome centers or for order on TravelIowa.com. It's um, a lot of listings of various attractions by city, so if you know where you're going, it's a great resource. But we also serve up some of the inspirational content in there as well. Um, the current issue, current guide, has the like, historic hotels and scenic byways and the winner of our pie competition that we did last year. So, again, we're trying to find what inspires you to travel and hopefully bring you to Iowa. We're also on social media. We have a social media manager who manages, I think, it's seven different channels. So the usual suspects, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest. We're also on Google Plus and um, Foursquare and Flickr and all of those. So you can Instagram, you can find us anywhere. So, again, we're trying to keep Iowa top of mind and alert people to what we have here. If someone has um, specific questions about 
things that uh, they might be looking for, a particular type of place, or if they have a particular question because they heard of something that they think is somewhere in Iowa? Do you field those kind of questions too? We certainly do in our office. I mean, we have, you know, there's an email on there for people to submit those things. We won't book your trip for you, but we'll certainly um, happily give you ideas about places to go. Um, If you're interested in a certain area but you're not really sure what's there, we're happy to assist you. Okay. Well, uh, traveling in Iowa is always something that, that I have been really interested in because I'm, you know, sixth generation, Johnson County, so we are always uh, been very proud to be Iowans and know a lot of the sort of classic sites that are tourism in Iowa. In fact, I've got a, a map someplace I've gone through and um, and highlighted the places where I haven't been through yet. And I must admit, there's quite a few left in western Iowa, but we've <laughs> done pretty much covered pretty much thoroughly eastern and sort of central Iowa. So. Uh, what is the number one travel site in Iowa right now? You know, that's an excellent question. Um, we don't necessarily keep track of that. If you think, for instance, of the Amana colonies, all the different entry points into the Amana colonies, that would be um, really difficult to count how many people travel to the particular area. Um, but for instance, like we know that the Amana colonies are a popular destination, as is, say, the Okaboji area, um, in northwest Iowa, we you know we know where people like to visit, but we just don't have the counts of how many particular people. I can tell you that the state fair is the state's largest tourism event, um, but again, we don't have like the one location in Iowa that's the most popular. We like to say they're all great. Is there any guideline uh, in the types of sites you promote? Like, do they? Do you only do nonprofits? Do you only do businesses? Do you only do, or or do you exclude things like I don't know, quilt shops or vineyards or what kind of what kind of sites do you promote? Anything that's of interest to the general traveling traveling public, that's open regular hours. Um, is available well actually by appointment only is also an option on our website in the travel guide we'll just print those that are open regular hours but on the website um, it, all of those museums attractions we do have retail we do have some shopping locations on our website because um, we know that's what people like to do we know that quilt shops are a popular thing there's the whole Iowa quilt shop and things like that that get a lot of people interested in traveling Iowa and so um, but our site is generated by the industry, so we're only as good as the industry uh, submits their information. So we certainly, if we hear of a local, a new hotel opening, we'll reach out to them and say, hey, we'd love to get you on TravelIowa.com. Last year we had almost 1.3 million visitors, so it's a great site for um, exposure for all those businesses. Well, that is 1.3, that is a lot. Um, yeah, that, um is an increase over like almost 30% from the year before. So we're seeing some momentum. It's good. Yes, it is. And it's always great that people want to come to Iowa because Iowa is, I think the very best state. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, because of that, you know, uh, we, I grew up with a lot of hearing a lot of stories about different places in Iowa that were sort of, I think, sort of the classic um, 
tourism sites that these were kind of places that most Iowans tried to visit once. And it really, it's really struck me about how many of those you don't really hear about anymore or as much as mm-hmm. they seemed to when I was a kid. I don't know if it was because I was a kid around the time of the Bicentennial and everybody kind of was talking history and odd things then, but it, it, it just, it seems like we don't hear about it much anymore. So that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today were some of these sort of classic sites that I don't think get as much play anymore, just so we could kind of talk about them and what sort of the things were. Uh, And I put together kind of a, a list here, but it's a short one and I'm sure we'll come up with other things to other places to mention too, but one of the ones that I think is is for there not being a lot to see there right now, I think is one of the coolest stories ever is the plow and oak. Now I did warn her ahead of time what these are going to be. So what do you got to say about plow and oak? Well, as I understand it, and I admit that I, you know, there are so many places in Iowa. Of course, I haven't been to them all, but this is how I understand it. And so perhaps you have some insight as well. Um, but way back when, um, somebody was out. A young farmer is out plowing in his field. He sees this troop of Union soldiers go by, and he thinks, I'm going to join up. So he sets his plow by the little sapling and goes off to war, tragically dies, never returns. But the tree, the little sapling that he set the plow by, grows around the plow. So if you go, you can see pieces of this plow sticking out of the tree. So it's one of those quirky things that we have here. Yeah, I always thought that was such a romantic story. Now, I, I, they have tried to figure out who that would be, and I think the guy actually did come back from the war. But that's always the story, that he never came back, and so the plow stayed there. Right. And why you would let a plow, I think probably what happened was the plow broke. But it's a much more romantic story, that he left it there and Isn't went it? off to war. And Oaks, if you are unfamiliar with Oaks, uh, they, and I'm saying that to the end, because uh, they slowly, they can get pretty big. And so at present, if you know how long a walking plow is from the point of the chisel to the end of the handle, right now the tree is roughly that thick. So you can see a little point of the the uh, chisel, about maybe six inches at this end, and a little bit of the handle part sticking out on the other end, and that's about it. Uh, I've seen a lot of old pictures, and you used to be able to see much more of the plow. It was a lot more interesting when it was kind of stuck. But you could still <laughs> see the little bit sticking out on one side and a little bit sticking out on the other side. You know, Frankly, if it was me, I think I'd plant another tree nearby and lay another plow. But <laughs> yeah, it, it, is, it is kind of a cool thing. And actually... I have been to this one. It was on my list, but I didn't actually plan to do it. I was on uh, my way to Audubon, where I, mm-hmm. I did a presentation, and we were. Dri- I was driving by, and I was saw a sign and wait. Or I no, I think I was looking at the map first because I hadn't. I hadn't looked at the route before I went. That's the trouble of not looking at at maps. You don't see all those cool places if you're looking at a stupid phone or something. So uh, I, but I was looking at the actual map, and it said Plow and Oak, and I was like, Plow and Oak, we have to stop and see the Plow and Oak. <laughs> and it was this little roadside you... park, and it had a, a, it had like a picnic shelter, and on the roof of the picnic shelter, it said Plow and Oak. 
Did you see so, Albert the Bull while you were there also? In actually, I did. Now, now. Okay, good. For those for those of you who who do not know me in real life, we raise Herford. So my entire oh. life, I have always we had plates, we had pictures. I always wanted to see Albert the Bull, and on that uh, that trip too, I did get to see finally Albert the Bull. In real life, which was awesome, because I had thought I had seen a large bull on the way up to Pepin, because there's a meat market that has a large cement bull next to this. That was a next to Albert. That thing was a calf. This Albert is huge. <laughs> he's the world's largest, so he would be. He's big. the world's largest, and he he's this giant cement bull that they did. Let's see, what was that? The forties, I think they forties, fifties, somewhere in there. They put him up. He's been there a really long time. I think he just had yeah. it in 1964. So, yeah, he's been there over 50 it. years. So, Albert is awesome, and they have a little recording thing that they Albert will tell you about himself. I really like it. Um, <laughs> actually, this is kind of stupid, but I, I wrote a, the Chamber of Commerce and got a, a transcript of the Albert script just because I thought it was cool. <laughs> nice. So, so yeah, I was actually Audubon. I think it just does such a great job. You know, a lot of places are named after things, and nobody knows, nobody cares. And I always think it's mm-hmm. it's people put too much emphasis on naming things after people because nobody knows who they are. But anyway, uh, Audubon they actually really focus on on uh, Audubon, and they have his bird prints in the library. Uh, and they have uh, done. I think they. I think it was impressions. I can't remember now if it was impression or if it was uh, mosaic. But they they were going to put something about the murals in the sidewalk there, and they had a statue of him. And mm-hmm. they just did a really neat job, you know, really getting into the whole thing. If they were Audubon, they mm-hmm. by God were going to be Audubon. I just right. they're fun place. And it is mosaics in the trail. It is mosaics yeah. of Audubon prints in the trail, and it's it's lovely. Yeah. They do a nice job. Yeah, they hadn't quite finished when when we were there. It's been a couple of years, I guess. We have to go visit Albert again. I, I guess that is go just <laughs> what we need to do. Um, the next thing that we have, or I have on the list, and don't worry, that will stop in a second. Um, the <laughs> next thing we have on the list is the West Bend Grotto. And that's kind of an interesting thing just because, well, in the first place, it's fun to say grotto. And mm-hmm. in the second place, uh, it, they seem to be uh, contagious. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the West Bend Grotto? Sure. The Grotto of the Redemption in West Bend um, was a project of Father Doberstein. As a seminarian, he was he fell really ill, and he prayed to Mother Mary if she would um, heal him, he would build this grotto. And he obviously did live, and he spent the rest of his life constructing this grotto of precious gems and stones that he had delivered by railroad cars. And um, it's, a, it's a stunning sight. It really is. It's a seven separate grottos of um, Christ's life, and um, it's remarkable. It's just there in tiny little West Bend. Um, I took my kids once, and we turned the corner, and I was like, there's the grotto, and they're like, oh, and I finished my sentence. They they were little-ish at the time, and they, you know, got a lot out of it, and so 
Um, it is just stunning. Sometimes it's called the eighth wonder of the world. Um, I believe the value of the gems and um, precious stones that are in there is somewhere upwards of $4 million. So it is a remarkable thing that we have right there in northwest Iowa. And people seem to see it and be inspired to do the same thing or to try to. And there, if you read guidebooks, you know, all over the Midwest, it'll say that somebody, you know, went to West Brend and saw the grotto. And so they came back and started working on one themselves. And there's like, I don't know, four or five of them in this kind of area. And they all say, well, we went to West Bend and saw the grotto. And I did not know that was a thing. Who knew? Oh yeah, it is. It's it's I I think that one was let's see, was was it off the beaten I think it was the off the beaten track book series because I talk about okay. well as a lore speaker I, I end up talking about travel a lot too to do the lore trips, so I read all sorts mm-hmm. of incredibly odd books. <laughs> I love that. I love odd books. Uh, so, so another fun uh, thing about the grotto, actually, is that he, Father Doberstein, apparently had the work ethic of, I don't know what, but he hand-dug this pond that's nearby to the grotto. And then in the winter, when it freezes over, you can ice skate on it. So if you're into that sort of thing, you can go out ice skating with the grotto as your backdrop. So, oh, well, that anyway. sounds neat. Did they rent skates? Um, you know, that's an excellent question. I would guess that they do, but I don't know that for sure. I would check before you go. <laughs> okay. Um, well, knock on wood, I think we're probably done with it for next year, or for this year, but maybe next year. <laughs> All right. I, I was thinking that there was a big push throughout the state, well, I think probably throughout the country a few years back. Oh, gosh, it's probably been more than a few years now. But was, there was the anniversary for the Lewis and Clark uh, expedition, and there seemed to be sort of an explosion of Lewis and Clark sites, both the ones that were, had been there already, and new things happening. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Lewis and Clark? Sure, and that's going to be, again, West, we're doing a lot of talking about Western Iowa. For, for you who said you've not gotten over there much, we're doing a lot in West. So that's good. Cool. <laughs> yeah. so, so there you are. Um, so Lewis and Clark, of course, like, Uh, went up the Missouri River, the west coast of Iowa, as we refer to it. Um, So I know uh, Ottawa has a location where they have the keelboat replica, so you can see the kind of ship that they sailed. Um, And also up in Sioux City, they have the Sergeant Floyd National Monument. It's the first national monument in the country, and it honors Sergeant Floyd, who was the only casualty of that expedition. Um, So that's an interesting site up there as well. So they got it through. They got through every place else, but they couldn't make it through Iowa. <laughs> no, no they were so close. And yeah, they were so close. No, it was. It was if, if you guys don't know, that is not anything having to do with Iowa. It was, I think, appendicitis or something. It wasn't anything having to do so, with yeah. being Iowa. Mm-hmm. So. Um, all right, so let's talk about some a couple things back in eastern Iowa. And <laughs> she said that. Uh, what, what about uh, or what are um, living in Iowa City and well, rural Johnson County? Uh, the old capital has always been a, a big local landmark. What can you tell people about that? 
you could probably tell them more about it than I can. I know that it was, you know, um, Des Moines has not always been the capital of Iowa, so it was in Iowa City, and that's the building is the old capital. It's been turned into a museum, but again, this is one of those that I've not been to. So, Sarah, I will let you explain to me oh. what's in it, why why I should go. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you definitely should go. Actually, I think it's a prettier building than the, the current state capital, though of course it's much much smaller. Um, it, Iowa City was the second capital of Iowa, and it was the first one they hung around long enough to have more than a wood building. So uh, they had worked on the Capitol building, and it is currently, um, when the when the Capitol moved on to Des Moines, it became the center of basically the University of Iowa it was it was sort of a more of a high schooly thing at first but it eventually built up to become the University of Iowa and they had come up with a plan uh around you know the turn of the 19th to 20th century to make the make it sort of the center of the campus so there's the uh old capitals in the middle of what we call the Pentecrest and then there's four um university buildings and it's all in that kind of classic um Washington DC kind of style of you know stone buildings and columns and everything uh and it had been used for university offices up until about the 1970s at which point they uh worked on making it uh restoring it more to what it originally looked like and they have gone through a couple of uh, restorations. It is just a gorgeous building, and it's really kind of interesting to see how the government worked because it had uh, both chambers. It has the um, Supreme Court room. It has what the state had for a library there at the time. They've been mostly able to reassemble. Um, and lots of things. How did these things really work? How did they do the light? They've got the original glass. They've got the original uh, staircase. They have an elevator, but I would not recommend it because I know at least two people who have gotten caught in it. But, <laughs> but they got them out. Really noted. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, so it's it's just um, it's a, a lovely place to to go, and it really is a very pretty building and a beautiful drop backdrop. Be sure to take your camera and get pictures of yourself being elegant, because that's the okay. the kind of feeling you get there. I will do that. I'll put it on my list. Okay, uh, and another big traditional Iowa uh, tourism spot is. The Amana Colonies. Right. We've touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, but you know, it was founded by German immigrants as a utopian society, and it was a communal society. I understand that the communal kitchen there is one of only a few left in the world. I tried to get the executive director of their CBB to tell me it was the only one, and he, he wouldn't go out on that limb for me. So I'm just going to say it's one of a few. Um, but they have um, fabulous restaurants that serve family-style meals, so you get heaping bowls of mashed potatoes and ham and sauerkraut and all sorts of delicious food. So take a group and go hungry. And so they and they have wonderful events. They've got Mayfest coming up here shortly. They've got a new event coming up in April, a four-day food fest. So if you like food, that's a great option. 
they, I know that last year they added the Worst Festival, so it's a festival about bratwurst. So they're they're doing different things to encourage other people to come. I mean, it's still all your favorite shops, the candles, the woolen mill, all of that, but they're also bringing some new events in to, I think, draw some additional tourists in. So that's a great thing for all of us. I think everybody who uh, visits Iowa should definitely eat at the Mana Colonies at least once. They're, um, unfortunately, my favorite restaurant there is is no longer in operation, but there's still several uh, in the Amana style. You do get them family style. And uh, I recommend myself uh, that you get the the vegetable plate just because there will be enough in the sides to fill you up and you want to try that amana bread and the hot sauerkraut and the cottage cheese and more bread and ugh. but uh and they do a fantastic job of having events pretty much every weekend all summer long and they have all sorts of nifty little knickknacky type shops and and a brewery and a woolen mill and a kitchen place that I love. So just uh, plan on spending a whole lot of time just kind of uh, exploring the town, and I think you will have a great time in Amana. And we are running shortly out of time, but I do just, my last specific place I had on my list was the Putnam, and I do want to mention that because they have a mummy. And I just and I just love that. <laughs> and and yes, I know cultural misappropriation, blah 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 blah. It's a mummy and you can go see <laughs> it. And it's right here in Iowa. And actually they have two, but only one of them is Egyptian, so that's the one you care about. Right. So they also uh, have a new exhibit this this summer, King Tut, and it's, you know, replicas of stuff from King Tut, so you can go see the mummy and stuff from King Tut. So it all ties together. So that is even more awesome. I had not heard that yet. So I do get, I usually get over there at least once a year because they also have a real nice box. So, well, we are pretty much out of time. Was there anything else that that you wanted to mention and as sort of a wrap up here, and to give you the know, website? I just, yep, I would reiterate that TravelIowa.com is a great resource for planning your Iowa vacation. Okay, well, thank you for coming on, Jessica. So I'll end better than <laughs> I started. And, uh, it was a pleasure. Well, anytime. Oh, thank you. And maybe we'll have to, to do that and come up with some different places to talk about because I really think people ought to be traveling more in Iowa because we are a, the best state. <laughs> I <concur>. Okay. <laughs> so everybody else, uh, I'm going to... Uh, go ahead and ask you to come back and visit us again next time on Trendle Bed Tales and remember to brighten the corner where you are.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.